Episode 98, Why the ASWB Passing Rates Matter on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. Today, we are talking about a really important topic about why the ASWB passing rates matter. So this is huge, okay? In August, on August 5th, 2022, the ASWB, and that is the Association of Social Work Boards, they released their 2022 ASWB exam past rate analysis, essentially telling us what they have known for at least 10 years about who is passing the clinical licensing exam and who is not. They break it down into first-time attempts and then eventual pass rates, broken down by genders, demographics, ages, and you can even see what the pass rates are by your state and even by your college. So I thought that was really interesting that you can actually access this information on their website. So a little bit of history about the ASWB. It is a nonprofit that was founded in 1979, and it's composed of the social work regulatory boards and colleges in all 50 states of one, the United States, the District of Columbia, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, the Northern Marie, Mariana Islands, and all 10 Canadian provinces. So they are massive, massive. And they, they say on their website, they strive to advance safe, competent, and ethical practices to strengthen the public protection. Essentially what they do is they own and maintain the social work licensing exams that are used to test social workers' competence. And this is meant to gauge whether they're practicing ethically and safely. However, there's really no studies or evidence that shows that the people who have passed the licensing exams are any more safe or ethical for our public protection than people who have not passed the exams. Because there are a lot of people out there, you will hear a lot of stories, who they have been working in the field for a long time, doing great social work practice. However, they just can't pass this stinking test. And now we have the numbers to say, okay, you're not alone. According to the, the report, this test is extremely skewed towards young, white, 
English-speaking females. If you fit in that demographic, you are most likely, 90% likely to eventually pass this test, as opposed to other demographics where the numbers really aren't that great for you, unfortunately. Um, for example, the first-time pass rate, and this is a according to the analysis on page 77, uh, white, 85% passed the first time. Uh, Hispanic, 65% passed the first time. And if you're black, 46.2 pass the first time. Less than half of the black test takers pass their first time. This is I mean, outrageous to me. And I can definitely see why they kept this hidden for the past 10 years at least because there have been multiple calls for them to release this data. They collect the data and they say, yep, but we don't have it. But all of a sudden they say, here you go. Here's the data for the past 10 years. And while I am glad that they have finally shared this, and are increasing their transparency, it really feels like a leader has been lying to me for the past 10 years. And now they're like, okay, I guess we should be truthful. We actually have this data and we've just been lying the past 10 years. And for me personally, this really uh, is just another ding against my trust in the leadership professions of, of social work. And I hate to say that because I'm an optimist. I love to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I can't. I can't in this situation. Um, some other interesting statistics that I saw is since 2011, social work has grown like massively. Okay. When I say you are needed and your social work degree is valuable, it is true, okay? They report a 127% increase in the amount of test takers in the past 10 years. That is huge. Social work is growing massively. The other note, the other change that I noticed too that made me feel more optimistic, a little bit, not enough, but over the past 10 years, we have gotten a little bit more diverse. So we are more black and brown than we have ever been. Uh, according to the amount of test takers, there has been a 63% of test takers are white. And this is a 12% decrease in the past 12 years or in the past 10 years, excuse me. Uh, additionally, the amount of uh, Hispanic has increased by 8%. And Hispanics are gonna make up 13% of test takers. And black makes up 14% of test takers. And they have actually increased 2% as well. Asians make up 4% of the test takers. And same thing, they have increased 2%. Now, I'm not really excited about this 2% or the 8% with Hispanics, because I know that this is not anywhere near enough of the amount of diversity that we need. We need to 
be able to represent the populations that we serve. And we need much, much more diversity in this area. And this exam is really a barrier to having people being able to get their license and practice uh, fully to their full skill set. And the other thing that I was extremely disappointed to see is there has been zero change in the past 10 years of men coming into social work. So right now, women are 87% of the test takers, and men are only 13%. And this has not changed. It's still the same, which that also breaks my heart. I mean, there we do not serve 87% women in social work. We definitely need more representation. So today, we're really going to dive into a conversation around why is this important? You know, a lot of us are not BIPOC. Even if you are, you still need to know why it's important. Um, and a lot of us, especially if you're a student or new to the field, you may not have these conversations in grad school. I'm sh- I'm I'm willing to bet you don't have these conversations in grad school. Um, if you do, that is fabulous. Much like round of applause to your professor who has these conversations. But it is important to know why should we care? You know, why can't I be? Maybe I'll be the 46% of the black people who pass. No, this is a system wide issue. Okay. And it is not your fault if you haven't passed, right? It is not your fault. And I'm extremely disappointed to see the response of the ASWB that essentially said, this is, this is a systematic issue that BIPOC or minority test takers do not pass standardized tests in all professions. Okay. So we know this, and you've known this for at least 10 years. What are you doing about it? There's nothing in their response that said what they're going to do about it. And they release these numbers. They know we're going to be pissed. They know the social work profession is going to be angry. And we are. And yet they provide no follow-up. They just say, here here it is. And this is standard for, for standardized tests across the board. I mean... If we are the profession that is really supposed to be inclusive and eliminating systemic barriers, and yet our own leadership organization is lying about the information that they have and also saying, well, this is just standard. We're doing, we're doing standard work here. We got to see, right? This is what everyone else is doing. No. No, we need to take steps to make sure that this is not happening, that we have a more diverse social work field. (sighs) Went on rant there. Uh, But the other thing that I want to add, too, is it's freaking expensive to take this exam. So when you don't pass it the first time, there goes $260 minimum down the drain. That's not including any other fees or test site fees or anything. That's just the price of each exam. So when people don't pass the first time, the second time, the fifth time, that is a lot of money. And especially when you're at an entry-level position, because you're not licensed, right? 
you're not making that much money. So $260 per exam is a lot. And let me tell you, the ASWB, they are not struggling for money, right? So before, remember I said that they own and maintain social work licensing exams. So it is to their benefit to have this 127% of increase of test takers, right? And they want every single social worker to be licensed so that they can get their $260 from every single social worker. And they're, according to the annual report, the most recent that they released in 2001, they have an increase of net assets equal to $5,224. So they are not hurting for money. They have the money to invest in the research that we need to do to make these changes and to, to really do the work that we need to do. So today we're going to be talking with Sharla Cannon Yearwood. She is the founder and clinical director of Connected in Community, which is a therapy practice in Indianapolis. Her professional work includes clinical services, consulting, and teaching. Additionally, they're all rooted in Black liberation and abolition. Her research interests include liberation-based clinical mental health care and other topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're going to be talking about the test and why does this matter. Uh, first, we're going to listen to a sponsor from our ad, The Rise Directory, and then we're going to hop right into this episode. This episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. I am here with Sharla Yearwood. Welcome to the podcast. I am really excited to get into this conversation, but not really excited that we even have to have this conversation to begin with. Absolutely. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. So I saw you, or I found you on LinkedIn, and that's how we got connected mm -hmm. because you were talking about the ASWB exam results and really passionate about it to the point that you even co-authored a petition to, yeah. uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the petition and then we'll get into, you know, like why, why do we have the petition? Yeah. So, um, just being a noise making social worker, um, I got together with some other noise making social workers on using social media and we connected together to co-author a petition calling for, uh, a, a pause on the ASWB exams um, and some other requests, including like reparations for Black social workers who have uh, had to take the exam multiple times um, and just making noise and saying that something has to change. Yes, for sure. Because looking at the big kind of overview of their results that they released, I mean, it's really skewed to young English speaking white women. Those are the people who are most likely to pass. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, you know, why, why is it that honestly, why should we care about the results? I mean, is especially looking at it from like a big perspective, you know, why, why do we care? Especially because I know a lot of our listeners and a lot of social workers in general are white women. So what do you have? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, that, that's true. That's who the majority of our profession is. I think when we look at the ASW, ASWV um, exam pass rate analysis that they put out, it's important for us to remember that we don't have any evidence that says that the exams necessarily help or support the profession as a whole. We don't know that social workers who have a license and social workers who don't have a license practice better or worse. And so the the data that was put out a couple of weeks ago really just drives home. We need to do some further examination of what creates a successful, competent social worker. What are we evaluating for and how do we want to actually live to our values as a profession? Yes, yes, that makes sense. Because uh, when I look at the statistics and um, and we can you know just dive right into these numbers, I'm looking at the first time pass rates, which is on page 77 of the 2022 ASWB exam pass rate analysis report that they put out in August, I believe of 2022. And it's showing that the first time pass rate is 85% for uh, if you're white. And um, just kind of picking out some numbers here, 65% if you are Hispanic and 46.2% if you're black, which is a huge discrepancy. Yes. Big difference. And there's also an overlap with age. And so those folks who are older are also skewing um, and showing that they're not performing as well as younger folks on the exam. And so I think as a whole, we get really used to looking at these kind of numbers and saying, okay, so what's wrong with the people? Why are the people not performing well? Why are some people performing better than other people? And what the other petition authors and I really wanna drive home is that as we are trained to understand the system and recognize the system that's at play. And so instead of playing into racist stereotypes of why it's an individual based certain racial groups can't pass a test as well as another, we know that that would, that would be feeding into racism. That's not how things work. So we have to look at the system. And what about the system is making it so that 85, 84% of white social workers are passing, but 45% of black social workers are passing. And as we get into that information, we look at the system, we can see that some of it has to do with how the exam is created. The exam is created by surveying white women in social work and asking them, how do you practice? And based on how they practice, we then write the exam. The problem with that is that social work is much more diverse than that. Social work has all of these different perspectives and all of these, these different communities that practice and operate in very different ways. And so it's, we're not saying that there is a question on the exam that is racist directly, although there is research that says that there are some exam questions that have microaggressions and other biases written into them. What we're saying is that the foundational formation of the exam 
is already rooted in a understanding of the work and a perspective that is held by white women. And that means that everyone else has to learn a white woman's perspective of the profession in order to pass the test. We're not actually asking people about their own approach to the work or giving any validity to that. Right, that makes sense. So there's just a lot of work to do around making sure that the people at the table are diverse, just like the clients that we serve. And and looking at these numbers, I do not believe that 85% of our clients are white women. They're not. That's just that's just not what who our clients are. That's also not who we are as a profession. As a profession, again, we're just we're a very diverse group. And that's part of the beauty of our profession. And I think that this just speaks to the challenge and the problems with ASWB, the Association for Social Work Forwards. The exams as they're written, they're not speaking to our competencies, which CSWE already requires that all social work programs, accredited social work programs meet certain competencies within their program. Those universities assess students to make sure that they can show um, competent practice and understanding of these various competencies. And then ASWB examines those same social workers on a totally different frame and model. And that's where the cracks are. That's why we're not seeing as black and brown social workers earn their LCSW. And that has real that has real consequences for the community and for social workers. Definitely. And you know, another area that we have not done any work on at all is having more men in the field. Because from 2011, Absolutely. from 2011 to 2021 when the data was evaluated, there's still only 13% of men in social work. It has not changed in 10 years, which is mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think like there's lots of deep dives to go into the history of social work, how social work is created. You know, there's there's, uh, overlaps with feminism and why it being a helping profession like nursing and teaching, it doesn't attract men in the same ways that other professions do. And also why it's underpaid. Um, as other professions are. And so there's lots of things that we, conversations we could be having, ways that we could be expanding our profession, but we first have to make sure that we are being a responsible as a group, that we are actually living to our ideals, to our values, and making sure that the way that we operate as a profession isn't leaving certain people out. Right, which is really surprising because as a profession, for the past, since I've been in it, right, since 2009, we've been talking about being inclusive and making sure everybody is um, treated as fairly as possible. And yet our lead organization has sat on these numbers for who knows how long. And then when they release them, they're like, oh, well, you know, statistically speaking, black people and minorities are just going to perform worse. And I'm like, that is complete BS because You you should be taking the lead on this. Yeah, it's crazy that that is the response. The response in the report is that there's a confirmation bias that black and brown social workers just already believe themselves not to be able to perform on tests as well. And so that's the reason they're not performing on this test as well. And it it feels like gaslighting. It feels like pretend because we all know anecdotally when you talk to other social workers, everyone says, don't take the test like you actually practice. 
answer the questions like the like the like your classroom told you you had to like the textbook says don't actually use any of your practice knowledge which is why we see a problem with people um well not a problem but we see lower test scores for folks who are older if you have more experience in the field you've been practicing longer you actually perform worse on the test that just doesn't make sense and we should be able to ask those crucial hard-hitting questions that get to what about our system is not allowing for inclusivity instead of just continuing to blame the people and saying that there's something wrong with individuals right there's definitely a disconnect there because i do remember that i remember having to answer you know what would you do first versus what is most important and i might do the most important thing first and that might be wrong. Yes, absolutely. I, I know that for my own exam, I had questions about um, queer couples that the, the language for the question already told me that my agency wasn't willing to serve queer people. And I just didn't understand why in an exam we were even asking questions as if people needed to practice um, not being inclusive. That didn't make sense when we have a profession whose values say that social justice is a part of who we should be and how we should practice. And that's what differentiates us from other mental health care workers. We are a social justice rooted profession and we need to hold ourselves accountable to that. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS law and ethics exam, the ASWB master's or clinical licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, An Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Do you love horses, nature, and being outside? Do you dream of having a successful career working with horses and helping humans? Horse Therapy Center of Canada provides certification and professional training to mental health professionals like you who want to launch a business or career in equine-assisted therapy. With three different delivery methods, you can become an equine-assisted therapist in as little as four days. For Social Workers Rise podcast listeners like you, my friend, Horse Therapy Center of Canada is offering you up to $700 off of their certification and training programs. So don't wait. Start your career 
in equine assisted therapy and learning today. Check the show notes for how you can get started. So here's a little twist for you. If we do nothing, now that we have this information, if we do nothing as a profession, no changes are made, what do you think would be the long-term implications for our profession and for our clients? I think that this is a real risk. Um, Based on the language that's in the ASWB assessment and their website, I think that they're approaching this in a, let's do some extra trainings for the black and brown folks so that we can raise them up to par because we want to maintain safety in our profession. And I think that that's very dangerous. One, because it maintains and perpetuates the idea that black and brown social workers don't um, practice as competently as white social workers. And that's just not true. We don't have evidence that says that. We only have evidence that says that they don't pass these tests at the same rate. And because they don't pass the tests at the same rate, that means they don't earn as much money. They don't earn as much money over the course of their professional careers. Um, they don't they don't have access to positions and opportunities that include things like private practice, which I know there's mixed feelings about things like pri- private practice, but it means autonomy. It means that as a social worker, you have the freedom to be able to step to any institution that you work for and say, you know what, I could also go and do this freelance. I could go and do this on my own. And so we are limiting those opportunities for them. We're also taking something away from the community. Because we know that there are communities across this country who are looking for Black and Brown and non-English native speaking social workers to come and help out on the much needed work. We need that to come from within the community. And right now, that access is limited because of this exam. And so there's some really big implications. And I think the main arguments against it would be, well, what about the safety of our profession? We don't want to water it down. We need to gatekeep. I keep hearing those, that kind of language. And I just would caution who says those things to really think about what are you saying? Because again, I go back to, we have no evidence that says that this exam produces better clinicians than those people who don't take the exam. We don't have that evidence. And so who are we actually gatekeeping? Right now we are gatekeeping black and brown social workers from having access to the profession. And I don't think that that's who we wanna be. And we need to just have some critical conversations about who it is we want to be as a profession. Right. And I'm wondering if we did have more black and brown social workers going into the communities, if maybe our public image would change. Maybe there would be better interactions. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It would change how some people see the work. I also think it would change the work. Black and brown folks really by practice differently. They see and understand this work in a different way. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad way or not as good way. We could be learning from other communities about how to best serve their community, but we're missing out on all of that practice knowledge and wisdom because we're limiting everyone to have to practice in this narrow scope of how white women practice in order to be deemed good enough to have a license. Yes, yes, definitely. It's such an injustice to to everybody, to our profession, to the next generation of social workers coming in and to the communities. So I'm wondering, you know, what can we do? How do we fix this? What actions can we take right now? Yeah, so the team of folks that I co-authored the petition with, um, we invite everyone to first sign the petition. 
Um, it's a change.org petition, excuse me, it's a change.org petition. And the title of it is ASWB in discrimination um, in social work licensing exams. Um, if you Google that search for that, you can go ahead and petition. And then you can also see at the bottom of that page, um, some opportunities to continue being connected. And so we have as um, updates in there, you can see a press conference. And if you view the press conference, you can also see a sign up list where you can get involved in this project to get people engaged and to talk about um, how we can put an end to these bias exams. There's also um, on that change petition um, links to form letters that you can send to your attorney general or your, um, your local licensing agency and to just bring to their attention. There is a community need. There is a shortage of mental health practitioners across this country. Post COVID, post so many tragedies, we have a high need like never before for mental health care. And there are social workers who are prepared, are trained for those jobs, but they can't get them. And that's because this exam is in the way. And so we need to do something. Again, not just for, yes, for our colleagues, because we should care for advocating for our colleagues, just like we do for the community, but then also for the community. There's a need and we can fill it. Definitely, definitely. And, and this exam, I remember for me, it was a barrier for a while because I had to save up money for months, at least six months to, uh, to pay the exam fees and also to get the study materials that I needed because I wanted, I needed to do it, you know, all together. And it's, I mean, hundreds of dollars. It was just so much money, especially when you're a newer social worker, not making much, you're unlicensed. It's hard. It is very hard for me on top of the exam fees and the test prep materials that I paid for before I even got to that point, I paid thousands of dollars in private supervision because the agencies that I worked for did not provide me with LCSW supervision. And so I had to pay a private LCSW social worker to provide me supervision, to coach me for two years before I could even submit my paperwork to take the exam. And that's also part of this conversation. It's not that we don't have other measures in place to keep clients safe and to ensure that everyone is prepared to be a competent social worker. We have other tools in place and we don't know that those tools don't work. And so we can feed more into providing really quality supervision, giving training and support to make sure the supervision is strong before we even need the licensure exam. And so we just, need to be asking ourselves critical questions. We have to go beyond just the surface information and just taking it from there, but really to think critically and ask ourselves, what is this data telling us? What does it say about the institution and systems of social work? And is this matched to the values that we say that we wanna uphold? Yeah, and it's good that you brought up clinical supervision too, because that is um, a big, it could be a really huge expense, as you mentioned. Uh, we do have the RISE directory now, which is a directory of clinical supervisors for social workers. So my goal in sharing that is that if you are unable to get supervision at your work for any, for any reason, you can go there and see your options, right? And I think it's really important that we know our options because even if you do have clinical supervision, it might be harmful or pointless if you're not getting quality supervision. 
Absolutely. I think you and I share personal professional goals in that way. My practice in Indianapolis, I'm a private practice clinician in Indianapolis. I formerly um, was faculty at a university, and that's where I really got connected to the social work institutions. But I've moved on into private practice. And one of my goals of my practice is to bring in more Black and Brown social workers and provide them the supervision that will allow them to practice in a way that's competent and culturally affirming for our community. Because sometimes that looks different than what we learned in the classroom. And so again, having those spaces where we can learn culturally affirming practice, where we can figure out how we can serve our community in a way that feels authentic to ourselves, we need more space for that. And the licensing exam right now acts as an additional gatekeeping barrier that says that practice has to look a certain way. And I think, you know, to take this even further, we need to ask ourselves, who is it gatekeeping against? And also, who is it not gatekeeping against? Because I think there are many of us who would say there are licensed clinicians all over this, all over this country who um, practice in ways that some of us wouldn't agree with in line with certain cultural and community and religious practices and ideas that don't, um, that aren't something that we all agree with. And we allow for that. We allow for the diversity in that space. So where can there be some diversity for folks who are of different ethnic cultures to have their way of practicing? And how can we ensure that those are, those are included in the diversity of our profession? Definitely, definitely. I'm curious, what would you say, because a lot of times if you hear from the ASWB, they'll say, oh, you know, we need you to get involved with us in the test formation. You know, what do you think about that if we had more diverse people actually involved with their organization? So I was of that mind before this, um, this information came out, the report. Um, I think it's important to say that for years, for several years, I've known personally at least five years where I've heard calls to on ASB, ASWB asking, where's the data? How are we doing on the test based on race? Because everyone heard whispers and rumors, but we weren't sure what that information was. And ASWB told us for years that they didn't have this information, which is really key because when the report came out, it showed data as far back as 10 years. So where was this information before? This was something that ASWB knew all along and they were actively keeping from professionals. They were actively keeping out of the literature and research. And that's also something that we should call into question. I'm sorry, I went all off on a tangent. What was your question to me before? <laughs> so um, should we get involved with the ASWB test formation? Yes, thank you so much for bringing me back on task. Um, I was of the mind that we should get involved. Let's try to be a part of creating these exam questions. And I signed up this past um, round. I signed up so that I could help with that. I wasn't one of the folks selected, but I want to tell you that as I was signing up, I was really concerned with the process. The, you have to be able to have availability and um, there was a possibility of travel expenses and the pay to provide this service to ASWB was minimal. And so there are also systemic barriers in who would have access to be able to support the creation of exam questions. And again, we are an organization whose values say that we are going to center social justice. We are going to center equity. And we need to hold our professional institutions to that same expectation, just as we are as licensed social workers. 
All I hear is money, money, money. Who has the money to volunteer almost, you know, if they're going to pay you, okay, cool. But I mean, I don't have money to travel for fun. I definitely don't have money to travel to like, go talk about a test. It it says a lot about who has the time and and the time off they can take, who has the availability. And that's just not a lot of our frontline social workers who are doing more of the community facing work. That means that our tests get built by people who are in private practice, people who are in academia, and it's not linked to the direct service workers who do more of the dirty work of social work. And forget about if you have kids. I mean, there's no way I would be able to take time off work and say, bye kids, bye, you know, and if I'm a single mom, oh, forget about it. It's not happening. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this really important conversation. Uh, The link is in the show notes for the petition. So definitely go and check that out. Uh, Charlotte, where can people find you and get connected with you? Yeah. So on Twitter is where I usually hang out with the rest of my social work peeps. Um, And I'm at Charlotte Yearwood. That's at C-H-A-R-L-A-Y-E-A-R-W-O-O-D on Twitter. You can also find me on LinkedIn, um, Charlotte Yearwood. And then otherwise my practice is in Indianapolis. I have a private practice. It's named Connected in Community. Um, So you can find me on Instagram via Connected in Community. Um, Happy to connect with social workers. Love doing this work. Before we end this conversation, there are three points that I want you to be aware of. One, the link to the petition is in the show notes. So definitely check it out and sign it if you feel compelled to do so. Second, after our conversation, I reached out to the ASWB because I want their voice on this issue too because this is all about them. And there are social workers who who work there, who serve on the board, who have voices too. So I want to give you the full story. So if they're open to an interview with me, I'm going to be asking some of the hard questions that we are all wondering. So stay tuned for that. And also my third point is this directly correlates and is going to impact the social work licensure compact. So in episode 95, a couple weeks ago, I dropped an episode on what that is, uh, what, how it's, how it's being developed because it is being developed right now. And right now in, in August, 2022 and next week in September, 2022, They should be still accepting feedback on the social work licensure compact, which part of that compact is that you pass a national exam. So definitely check that out. Um, If you are at all interested in using your LCSW in different states, you know, it's important. It is important. So check that out. You can listen to the episode 95 and learn more about it and take action there if you feel compelled to do so. I really, really appreciate you listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. I love being here. I love having your voices. If you are listening to this, go ahead and screenshot the podcast, share it on Instagram. You can tag me at Social Workers Rise. I am also on LinkedIn, Katherine Moore, LCSW. And also, if you have an iPhone or anywhere that you can rate the podcast, if you love it, give me five stars. This helps 
other people find the podcast and join our community just like you. And until next week, talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You'll have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.